Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991, operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada. Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals, and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Arrow Films is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market, fueled by passionate and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Arrow Video and Arrow Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Arrow Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and an upcoming limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they're fantastic. And we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Arrow Films at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Arrow Video, Arrow Academy, Arrow Films, and Arrow TV. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Sorry, actually, hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Viers, and um, this is going to be a quickie today. Uh, I'm not joined by anyone because it's um, it's a bonus episode, and those are usually just something that I do. But uh, I am joined by my my wonderful dog Frankenstein, which. I don't know. Seems weirdly appropriate, to, uh, based on what I'm talking about. Say hi, Frankie. Say hi. Say hi to the people. She's there. Um, she's not much of a talker, but uh, oh, okay. She's there. 
Um, I think she's subtly telling me that she wants to go outside, um, which I will take her out to do after I record this. You've just been outside. Yes, you have. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to just go into a diatribe about uh, with talking about uh, talking to my dog. But you know, what are you gonna do? So, uh, as I said, this is gonna be a short episode. This is a bonus episode. Um, as you heard on our last bonus episode, we just recently got Arrow Video as a new sponsor for the podcast. We did their. Um, I reviewed their release of Toys Are Not for Children. I will be reviewing. Uh, from Arrow Academy, their um, release of The Man of a Thousand Faces, the Elon Chaney film. I will be reviewing that for Ghastly Grinning very shortly. I've been doing some reviews for them. But today I am here to talk about John Landis's John Landis genre-defining horror film, An American Werewolf in London. So let me start with the back of the box. One of the greatest directors of the 1980s, John Landis, best known for the Blues, the Blues Brothers in Trading Places and Animal House, expertly combines macabre horror with dark humor in the lycanthropic classic An American Werewolf in London. American tourists David, played by David Naughton, and Jack, played by Griffin Dunn, are savaged by an unidentified vicious animal whilst hiking on the Yorkshire Moors. David awakes in a London hospital and finds his friend dead, and his life in disarray. Retiring to the home of a beautiful nurse, played by Jenny Augeter uh, from Walkabout, to recuperate, he soon experiences disturbing changes to his mind and body, undergoing a full moon transformation that will unleash terror on the streets of the capital. An American werewolf in London had audiences howling with laughter and recoiling in terror upon its cinema release. Landis' film has gone on to become one of the most important horror films of its decades, rightly lauded for its masterful set pieces, uniquely unsettling atmosphere, and Rick Baker's truly groundbreaking, Oscar-winning special makeup effects. Now, newly restored and presented with an abundance of extra features, this big beast of horror can be devoured as never before. This is the story of two young American students traveling through England on a night of the full moon. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Fate let one live. A lunatic must have been a very fierce fellow. Wasn't a lunatic. What? A wolf. Oh, be serious, would you? And now everything is changing. 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 John Landis, the brilliant young director of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, has turned a classic tale of terror into something new. Something different. Excuse me. A naked American man stole my balloon. I'm a werewolf. An American werewolf in London. Something different. 
American Werewolf in London is arguably one of, if not the greatest werewolf film of all time. It ranks very high with me. On that list also would be uh, Stephen Stephen King's, well, it's not Stephen King directed, but Stephen King's Silver Bullet, as well as Late Phases. It's a newer film. Um, it's, it's fantastic, and it was great to be able to show it to my wife Amanda, who up until a couple years ago had never seen it, despite the fact that she's got a love, an absolute love for werewolves. It's her favorite cinema creature. I guess not even cinema creature, just her favorite creature. And it depresses her a little bit that she's that there's not that many truly good werewolf films. There's actually, to be completely frank with you, there's very few werewolf films, period. Like, there's a lot of them out there, don't get me wrong, but if you compare it to that of, say, um, how many vampire films there are, or I guess vampires would be the biggest one, or but there's not nearly as many werewolf films, and there's even fewer good werewolf films. So, <sighs> I don't even know where to begin with American Werewolf in London. It's a movie that first came on my radar because of my mother, actually. Thinking back about it, that was kind of strange for me because my mom um, kind of became good with horror as, uh, as I got older, um, but was not really a horror fanatic in any in any fucking sense of the word. But I just remember her tell me telling me about an American werewolf in London. There's three movies that I remember her talking about incessantly when I was a kid. Um, and all three, at, w- at one point, we rented from the library. I remember we'd go into the library to pick them up. Um, and in my mind, this was all one weekend, but I know that's not true. That's just the way that your mind plays tricks on you. Um, an American werewolf in London... Well, let me, actually, let me start with the other two, and I'll finish up with American Werewolf. Um, one of them was Young Frankenstein, and that will always stick out to me because I just remember her. the two jokes that she would not stop talking about were um, the fact that um, Igor's hump in the movie moves every scene, and she just thought that was, like, the height of comedy. And I still I love that movie to this day. Um and uh, and then she also loved that Frau Brucher's name. Anytime they said her name, that horses would whinny in the background. She just th- those just fucking killed her. Um, uh, um, Man of a Thousand Faces is another movie that she told me about, which I will be reviewing soon. And um, and then obviously an American Werewolf in London. I just remember her. The thing that she really resonated with was that it was funny. And I feel like if you were to ask my mom, is American Werewolf in London a horror film? She's like, no, it's a comedy. And I've noticed some people view it as a comedy. Some people view it as a horror film. It's very conflicting with people. I personally think it's a horror comedy where horror is first, but it's also not afraid to be funny. And the joke that got her, I guess, um, is not even necessarily a joke in the movie. It's just the fact that Griffin Dunn's character constantly comes back to torment to torment david and it's not even that but the fact that every time you see him he's more and more grotesque and he's cracking jokes and having fun she just she ate that shit up like i think she even quoted can i have a piece of toast can i have a piece of toast get the fuck out of here jack thanks a lot i can't take this am i asleep now awake or what 
I realize I don't look so hot, David. But I thought you'd be glad to see me. David, you're hurting my feelings. Hurting your feelings? Has it occurred to you that it might be unsettling to see you rise from the grave to visit me? Sorry to be upsetting you, David, but I had to come. Aren't you supposed to be buried someplace in New York? Yeah. Your parents came to my funeral. I was surprised at how many people came. Now why should you be surprised? You were a very well-liked person. Yeah, I was, wasn't I? Well, I liked you. Debbie Klein cried a lot. Oh, God, am I asleep now or what? So, so, you know what she does? She's so grief-stricken. She runs to find solace in Mark Levine's bed. Mark Levine? An asshole. Life mocks me even in death. I'm going completely crazy. Which, for those who have seen the movie, know the line I'm talking about. Um, this movie is, is stellar, and it's a movie that grew on me. I, unlike a lot of other people who where American Werewolf in London was a big moment from the moment they saw it. Um, first time I saw it, I was like, okay. It was good. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was good. Grand, I was like eight years old, so fuck off. Um, but every subsequent time I've seen it, it just gets better and better. And it wasn't until this most recent time watching it with Amanda, because uh, well, I watched it. We watched it a couple months ago because she wanted to see it again. Because the last one, when she watched it with me and my mother, and she had just gotten off like a twelve-hour day and fell asleep, and not because she wasn't enjoying the film, just a long day. So we watched it very recently. And and then I rewatched it when I got the Arrow version. But when we watched it last, what really stuck out with me is how real every everyone in the film felt. Both um, both David and Jack, you felt like they were good friends. You felt like they were best friends. And some of that's credited to the writing, but some, a lot of that's also credited to the two actors who just feel so natural and they feel... You, you honestly feel like we stepped into the middle of another movie. Um, I love movies like this where the set, there's not a lot of setup. It gets going really fast. So the movie starts and we have all these beautiful scenery shots of the Moors with, uh, I believe it's Bobby Vinton's version of Blue Moon playing over the opening credits. Um, I learned from the DVD comment, or sorry, the Blu-ray comedy uh, commentary that they wanted Elvis's version of the song, but they couldn't get it. Um, but whatever. And um, so we we get these beautiful shots. We get the song, and then we meet our two lead characters, um, David and Jack, on the back of a lamb truck, like a truck that is driving. It's for a farm. It's it has land. It has sheep in the back of the truck, and that's when we first meet them. And we, I love this because we don't have a bunch of extraneous scenes of them talk about them getting ready for their vacation, talking about their vacation. They're on vacation in England. We maybe hear a little bit about why. Um, we there's not just excessive dialogue. There's not a lot of exposition. We know enough that these guys are friends. That they're very good friends. That they're close friends and have been for a while. Uh, and they're not necessarily always in agreement about how this trip is going. But they love each other. 
and they're going to stick with each other, no matter how cold and dank and terrible it becomes, and it becomes pretty fucking terrible, um, and it's just such a basic setup, it's enough that we know that they're close, so when Jack keeps coming back and visiting David, it's not surprising, you don't get the feeling that these are just two guys that met each other in college and are good friends now, you feel like they've had a strong bond growing up together, we don't know that, I don't know that, I'm just making this up, um, but, you get that feeling. And then the movie pretty much picks up pretty pretty quickly. We get to the Slaughtered Lamb, which is a bar in the movie. Um, things get very ooky spooky. Um, as Edgar writes uh, coins in um, Hot Fuzz, a bunch of spooky doings occur. Um, there's a pentagram on the wall. There's just this all this weirdness that no one can quite put their, put their finger on. And the villagers chase away Jack and David very much against the wishes of the woman who owns the bar. She's just not forced. Like someone should go out there and get them. And they're pretty much like, no, these, these fuckers are gone. They're, they, it's their own problem now. And on the moors of England, they encounter a very real werewolf that uh, attacks both of them, ends up killing Jack, spoiler, um, and David's left alive. He's transported to a hospital. And then, like, the, the fucking villagers, of course, now show up and blast that werewolf away. Um, and then it just goes into this descent of becoming a werewolf. And I don't I don't necessarily want to gloss over that. Like, it's not important, because it is. But it's probably... There's been... I've, this is what makes a werewolf film truly interesting. There's two things, in my personal opinion, that make a werewolf film good. A good transformation slash a good werewolf. You can have a great werewolf and not a good transformation, and you can have a great transformation and not a good werewolf. You should have one or the other. If you have a really great transformation, if you can't get necessarily a great werewolf, don't show it very much. But if you have a fantastic werewolf, I'll forgive the fact if you don't have a very convincing transformation. So you need that, and then you need this this struggle within yourself about the fact that you're becoming a werewolf. And this is this, this rage inside of you that you can't control and how good of an actor you are will determine how believable this is. Cause I've seen some movies where it just didn't seem like it was a big thing at all. Like, yeah, it was painful when they tra- transformed, but they weren't struggling or dealing with any of these internal issues. That's what makes the original Wolfman so interesting. It's not though it's not Jack Pierce's amazing effects, which they are great. It's not the transformation. It's Lon Chaney Jr. He grounds that film in such a believable way. He's got this sadness behind his eyes that he knows he's turning into something that's fucking vile and evil, and there's nothing he can do about it. No matter how good of a person you are, no matter how good your heart is, you're going to become a creature, and you're going to attack not only the people you love, but people who are just innocent bystanders. And the more you attack, the less chance you have of surviving. And that's what David Naughton does so beautifully in this film. You believe him. You believe he's got this this angst. He does he he's in love with this nurse but can't get close to her. And this entire time he's afraid. He's afraid of what he's becoming, but he's also afraid to do anything about it. This entire time Griffin Dunn's character Jack keeps coming back to him and said, "Hey, 
this sucks, but you have to kill yourself. That's the only way out of this. And it almost has like this this antagonistic quality to it, which is funny because this entire time, oh, he's telling uh, David to kill himself. He's doing it to help him and to help those around him. So there's almost like this push and pull, like everything Jack says makes complete truth, but the way he's coming across it, especially because the entire film he's a fucking zombie, it sounds kind of vile and evil. And that's, I think, the master, the mastery of this film. When people talk about this film, they're always going to talk about Rick Baker's amazing werewolf effects. They're going to talk about the one-in-a-million transformation, where not only in full-on lighting, we, we see David's body contort into a werewolf. It's not just doing these dissolves and he becomes hairier and hairier. No, we see his body contorting in a way that people hadn't seen in the 80s. Before CGI, before you could do all these effects, he is turning into a werewolf in front of our eyes. And it took them, I think they said on on the features like a a cup like a week to shoot that scene just the one transformation scene and it took um rick baker six months to make the prosthetic pieces he needed and it's just this this crazy amount of work went into it and it feels painful it looks painful you feel it and just the way like the way that david screams throughout all this he's screaming bloody murder and it makes the hairs in your arm stand up that's one of the things this film's always going to be known for but what i feel like it really should be or it's also going to be known for its humor and its mixing of uh, of these two elements but what i think the film really should be known for is the struggle that david goes through um that's the most compelling part of this film that combined with the beautiful music composed by elmer bernstein is is honestly what stuck out with me this this time. The transformation is always going to be wonderful. That weird dream sequence mid-film was always going to be wonderful. But what truly grounds this film and makes it terrifying is the performance by David Naughton. So if you've not seen American Werewolf in London, shame on you. Your mother did not take you to the library enough times like my mother did to show me weird, offbeat, horror-adjacent films. But uh, definitely check it out. And I'm sure there's going to be some people out there who aren't going to like this film for some reason, but I personally think it's a masterpiece and it just gets better and better the more I see it. And while I'm no expert on the films of John Landis, I've not seen all of his work, um, I can't imagine many other films in his oeuvre are going to top this. Though we did discuss Blues Brothers on a previous episode. Um, That was a fun episode. It was me, my wife, Nick, and guest star Katie Cadaver. So check out the blues brothers episode so special features and there are plenty of them <laughs> so first off a new 2019 restet a new 2019 restoration from the original camera negative supervised by john landis this film will actually inside of the packaging which is beautiful i guess let me do a tangent real quick on the packaging arrow's limited edition version of this film because i've owned this film multiple times I've owned it on DVD. I've owned two different Blu-rays, uh, one of which being a steelbook. I wasn't even too sure if I wanted to get this restoration at first. Not because I didn't love the film. I just thought, how many times can I own American Werewolf in London? And first off, I'm going to say this this version of the film is a must-own. Must-own. So not only is the packaging beautiful, it's got this really thick case on it um, with some gorgeous artwork on the front of it. Um, it also comes with a a poster, a fold-up poster 
that comes with some more artwork, reversible cover art, but it comes with this book. And not only do I love when Arrow does this, because they put so much love into it. Uh, very much like Criterion, they talk about the restoration, what they did. And that's what I'm going to read here in a second. But in this booklet also, they all, they have three essays. First of all, Sick as a Dog, Body Horror, and American Werewolf in London, written by Craig Ian Mann. One Full Moon, Two Young Stars, by Simon Ward. And American Werewolf in London, Can Rick Baker and John Landis Top the Howling, by Jordan R. Fox. As well as a bunch of original reviews for the film. But in this booklet, like I said, very much like Criterion, they talk about the actual restoration work they did. So, um, as opposed to just saying it's a new restoration, I want to talk. I'm going to read what they say in the book. An American Werewolf in London has been exclusively restored by Arrow Films and is presented in its original 1851 aspect ratio with mono and 5.1 sound. The original 35mm camera negative was scanned in 4K resolution at NBC Universal Studio Post Facility. The film was graded and restored in 2K resolution at Silver Salt Restoration London. The grade was approved by director John Landis himself. The original mono mix was remastered from the original mag reels at Deluxe Audio Services in Hollywood. Restoration supervised by James White from Arrow Films. The film is fucking gorgeous. I thought my Blu-ray, my my my, ex- my Target exclusive fucking Blu-ray looked fantastic, which they did a restoration on. And it did. But this is definitely the best I've ever seen this film look. From the moment David walks on screen and he's got this red jacket and it just pops in such a way. Um, it just, I, I, the film's colorful but muted at the same time. Um, I just could not stop staring at the screen. Every frame felt like a painting. And it was not, that's not never how I felt about this film before. I never thought it was a poorly shot film in any regard. I just never realized how fucking beautiful it was. So, but anyway, so it's, there's a new restoration. Um, high definition Blu-ray uh, presentation. The original uncompressed 1.0 mono and optional 5.1 DTS HD master audio optional English sub- subtitles for the death and hard of hearing. And then this is where we start getting good. So first, there's a new audio commentary by Beware the Moon filmmaker Paul Davis that is pretty great because, one, not only does he have an amazing John Landis impression, impression which if I can find a clip for it, I will throw in. And Les was still an art director at that point and was very uncomfortable about um, working working his way up to a production designer because this was going to be his first movie as a production designer and, and he didn't want to do it. He felt he'd make mistakes and Landis said, I'm not going to let you make any mistakes, okay? Just do it. And uh, and he did, And but he kept the uh, the credit of art director. Uh, there's lots of great information, um, and there's just this fa- there's this fantastic scene where he talks about the costuming in the slaughtered lamb, and what the costume designer was thinking when she put that together. One of the things I love about this sequence um, that really kind of sets these two characters apart from everybody else is that they look. I mean, especially for 1981, they look unmistakably American. You know, amongst all these, you know, local British uh, country folk. And, you know, that's the brilliance of uh, the costume designer, Deborah Nadorman, because her approach was to m- almost make them look as if they were men on the moon. And, and it works for the terrain, because, you know, when, you, when these guys are on the moors, 
in pitch darkness, they do look like men on the moon. But back to the costumes, you know, it was, um, you couldn't find, like, North Face Parkers in, in London, Levi Jeans or, or anything like that, Timberland Boots. So Deborah had to get all of the costumes. Uh, she had to buy multiples of their costumes um, in the United States and then bring them back. Um, and David had the red because he was the star, and obviously they knew that Jack was going to have all blood and viscera over his jacket, so he had the more beige, green, neutral color. Um, but, you know, it still stands up, and it still looks great, and you can still tell that these are strangers in a strange land, which is, you know, what makes this movie so special. Like, it's just, it's a treat to listen to. It's definitely, uh, um... It's not one of those commentaries that you necessarily want to throw on in the background. It's a film that make it's a commentary that makes you love love the film even more. There's also an audio commentary by actors David Naughton and Griffin Dunn, which I've not listened to yet. I think I've talked about before. I'm not usually the biggest fan of actor commentaries, but it is one I want to listen to at some point. Uh, Mark of the Beast: The Legacy of the Universal Werewolf, a newly produced feature-length documentary by filmmaker Daniel Griffith. Um, this was, this was a fantastic feature that I watched of my wife. Everything you've ever wanted to know about the universal series of werewolves from, uh, werewolf and werewolf of London, all the way up to Benicio del Toro's the wolf man is in here. It's fantastic. It's chock full of information and it definitely presents the werewolf in, um, an interesting way and really truly somehow made me love the wolfman even more than i did before um so oh i forgot to read so it's new um newly it's also features interviews of john landis david naughton joe dante and more an american filmmaker in london newly filmed interview of john landis in which he reflects on british cinema and his time working in britain this is just john landis nerd, nerding out about English cinema, which is always fun. Um, I think he's a Jew. The Werewolf's Secret, new video essay by filmmaker John Spira about how Landis' film explores Jewish identity. This is one of my favorite features on this, and I love that more and more people are doing video essays on these discs. It's definitely Arrow. It's something that Arrow does a lot of, um, and it's 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 fascinating because it talks about um, seeing. Jewish characters on screen and how there's not usually many of them. And uh, it also talks about how Kurt Sedemack, who wrote the, um, the Wolfman, how he invented the rules of the werewolf and how he, whether subconsciously or consciously used his own plights as a Jewish man as kind of like the stepping stone for that. And how the Wolfman is an allegory for modern Jewish experience. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And I liked it so much that I had to rewatch it again along with my wife. And yeah, um, definitely one of my favorite features on there, along with the documentary about the Universal Werewolf. Um, the Werewolf's Call, Corin Hardy and director of The Hollow and The Nun. So the were- Corin Hardy, director of The Hollow and The Nun, chats with writer Simon Ward about their formative experiences with Landis' film. Um, pretty good, interesting information. Um, um, and it's, it kind of goes into depth about like how this film's inspired young filmmakers and, and people of, of that ilk. Um, 
kind of short, but still pretty good. Um, where was I? Where's of the Wolf, new featurette in which uh, effects artists Dan Martin and Tim Laws of Prop Store look at some of the original costumes and special effects artifacts from the film. This one's cool because you get to see all the 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 stuff that went into making the film. Beware the Moon, Paul Davis' acclaimed feature-length exploration of John Landis's film, which boasts extensive cast and crew interviews. This is pretty much the authority on this film. Everything you've ever wanted to know about American Werewolf of London is in this documentary. It is one of my it is one of the best fan documentaries I've probably seen. Making an American Werewolf in London, a short archival featurette on the film's production. An interview with John Landis, a lengthy archival interview with the director of the film. At this point, if you've watched all the features, uh, hearing Landis tell the same stories over and over becomes a little redundant. So these archival ones, while great to have, are not necessarily my favorite. Um, makeup artist Rick Baker on American Werewolf in London. The legendary makeup artist discusses his work on the film. I Walked with a Werewolf, an archival interview with Rick Baker about universal horror and its legacy on the Wolfman films. Both of these are pretty good. He kind of repeats himself a lot, but you can see a glint in Rick Baker's eye when he discusses classic monsters. It's fantastic. Casting of the Hand, archival footage from Rick Baker's workshop showing the casting of David Naughton's hand. Outtakes, Storyboard feature at original trailers, teasers, and TV spots, extensive image gallery featuring over 200 stills, posters, and other uh, epher- uh, ephemera. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Reversible sleeve featuring original poster art and artwork by Graham Humphreys, double sided fold out posters, six double sided postcard sized lobby card reproductions, limited edition 60 page perfect bound book featuring new writing by craig ian mann simon ward archival inter- ar- uh, articles and original reviews so as i said this fucking release is jam-packed it is a must own and i can honestly say it's probably one of the best releases i have gotten all year so that's american werewolf in london um it's definitely a buy. It's out right now by from Arrow. It's a limited edition, so pick it up if you need it, if you want it, because it might not be around forever. Um, and it definitely has the shameless picture show seal of approval. So thanks for listening, guys. As always, like, rate, and review on your podcast app of choice. Um, tell your friends about us. And um, if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. Watch movies.